Section 3 of The Pastor's Wife by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 3. Chapter 7. It was raining at Redchester when Ingeborg got out at the station a week and a day after she left it. The soft, persistent, fine rain, hardly more than a mist, peculiar to that much-soaked corner of England. The lawns in the garden she passed as her fly crawled up the hill were incredibly green. The leaves of the lilac bushes glistened with wet. Each tulip was a cup of water. The roads were chocolate. And a thick grey blanket of cloud hung warm over the town, tucking it in all round, and keeping out any draught that might bite and sting the inhabitants, she thought, into real living. The porter told her it was fine growing weather, and she wondered stupidly why, after the years she had had of the sort of thing, she had had not grown, then, more thoroughly herself. A retired colonel she knew, she knew all the retired colonels, waved his umbrella, and shouted a genial inquiry after her toothache and she looked at him with a dead, ungrateful eye. A passing postman touched his cap, and she turned the other way. The same sensible female figures she had seen all her life draped in the same sensible Macintoshes bowed and smiled, and she pretended she hadn't seen them. Everybody, in fact, behaved as though she were still good, which was distressing embarrassing, and productive of an overwhelming desire to shut her eyes and hide. There were the shops, with things in the windows unchanged since she left nine days ago, the same ancient novelties nobody ever bought, the same flies creeping over the same buns. There was the bookseller her Christian year had come from, his windows full of more of them, endless supplies of endless dieted daughters, vegetarians in literature, she called them to herself, forcibly vegetabled vegetarians. And there was the silversmith, who provided the bishop with the crosses, after a good Florentine fifteenth-century pattern he presented to those of his confirmation candidates, who were the daughters in the diocese of the great. The Duke's daughter had one. The Lord Lieutenant's daughter had one. On this principle Ingeborg herself had been given one, and wore it continually night and day, as her father expected, under her dress, where it bruised her. It was pleasant to her father to be able to recollect in the stress and dust of much in his work that was unrefreshing how there was a yearly increasing, though severely sifted, number of gentle virgin blouses belonging to the best families beneath which lay and rhythmically heaved this silver reminder of the wearer's bishop and of her god. Father, Ingeborg said, after she had worn hers for a week, may I take my cross off at night? Why, Ingeborg, he had inquired, adding quietly, 
did our saviour no but you see when one turns round in one's sleep it sticks into one sticks ingeborg the bishop said gently raising his eyebrows at such an expression applied to such an object yes and i'm getting awfully bruised she was still in the schoolroom and still saying awfully by his stripes we are healed said the bishop shutting up the conversation as one shuts up a book in spite of the wet warmth she shivered as the silversmith's window reminded her of this it had happened years ago but even farther back as far back as she could remember every time she had asked leave of her father to do anything it had been refused and refused with bits of bible which were so peculiarly silencing and now here she was about to face him covered with the leaves she had not asked for at all but had so tremendously taken and going to ask the most tremendous one of all the leave to marry herr dremmel for that was how the last two days of her dense tour had been spent in being openly engaged to herr dremmel she had found her attempts to explain that she was not so really availed nothing against his conviction that she was and public opinion the public opinion of the whole tour also never doubted but that she was had not seven of its most reliable members actually seen her in the act of becoming it in fact it not only did not doubt it it was sternly determined that she should be engaged whether she liked it or not it was the least the tour felt that she could do so that there was nothing for it now but to face the bishop she felt cold no amount of the familiar moist stuffiness could warm her vainly she tried to sit up to be proud and brave to recapture something at least of the courage that had seemed so easy just at the end in switzerland with herr dremmel to laugh at her doubts her head would droop and her hands and feet were like stones it was the place the place she thought the hypnotic effect of it of her old environment the whole of redchester was heavy with recollections of past obediences not once had she ever in redchester even dreamt of rebellion she had questioned laterally in the remoter and less filial corners of her heart but she had never so much as thought of rebellion and the moment she got away out of sight and hearing of home things she knew here were wicked had appeared to be quite good and extremely natural how strange that was and how strange that now she was back everything was beginning to seem wicked again what was a poor wretch to do she asked herself with sudden passion confronted by these shuffling standards that behaved as if they were dancing a quadrille this was the place in which for years her conscience had been cockered to size and delicacy 
and though it had become temporarily tough in herr dremmel's company she felt it relapsing with every turn of the wheels more and more into its ancient softness yes she undoubtedly conscience-stricken and frightened or not had to tell her father what she had done she had got to be brave and if needs be she had got to defy she was bound to herr dremmel he had only gone home to set his house in order and then he announced she meanwhile having prepared the bishop he was coming to redchester to marry her prepared the bishop she shivered herr dremmel had tried to marry her in lucerne but the swiss it seemed would not be hurried so that here she was and within the next few hours she was going to have to prepare the bishop she shut her eyes and thought of herr dremmel of robert as she was learning to call him with all her heart she liked him and he had been so kind when he found she really disliked being engulfed in embraces and had restricted his exhibitions of affection to the kissing of her hand telling her he could very well wait till later on sure that she would after marriage warm as he had explained to her on the rigi all women did to a just appreciation of the value of the caresses of an honest man he had also produced a number of german love names from some hitherto fallow corner of his mind and garnished his conversation with them in a way that made her who nourished as she had been on the noble language of the bible and the prayer-book was instantly responsive to the charm of words laugh and glow with pleasure she was his little heart his little tiny treasure his little sugar lamb a dozen little sweet diminished german things translated straight away just as they were into english the freshness of it the freshness of being admired and petted after the economies of these directions practised in her home and his ring at that very moment dangled beneath her dress on the same chain as her father's cross yes she was bound to him duty she perceived could be a very blessed thing sometimes if it protected one from some other duty it was herr dremmel now who had become her duty she put up her hand to get courage by feeling the ring for her spirit was fainting within her she had just caught sight of the cathedral the ring had been slung on the chain alongside the confirmation cross because it was impossible to wear it on her thumb and out there in switzerland where one was simple it had seemed a most natural and obvious place to put it yet now as the fly rattled over the cobbles of the close and the familiar cathedral rose before her like a menace she hung her head and greatly doubted but what the juxtaposition was wicked nobody was on the doorstep when she arrived 
beneath the great cedar that spread its shade an intensified bit of dripping gloom where all was gloom and dripping across from the lawn to the palace's entrance except the butler whose black clothes struck her instantly as very neat and smooth and his underling a youth kept carefully a little on the side of a suitable episcopal shabbiness she had telegraphed her train from paddington but that of course was no reason why anyone should be on the doorstep it was she whose business lay with doorsteps when people arrived or left she was the one who welcomed and who sped and since she could not welcome herself there was nobody there to do it she stole a nervous look at wilson as he helped her out but his face was a blank the boy on her other side had an expression she thought as though under happier conditions he might have let himself go in a smirk and she turned her eyes away with a little sick feeling did they know already all of them that she had left her aunts a week ago but indeed that seemed a small thing now compared with the things she had done since i'm a dead girl thought ingeborg as she passed beneath her parents porch the servants brought in her luggage off which in her newness at deceit she had not thought to scrape the continental labels and she crossed the hall treading on the dim splashes of lovely blurred colour that fell from the vast stained-glass windows on to the stone flags of its floor it was the noblest hall as bare of stuffs and carpets as the cathedral itself and she looked more than insignificant going across it to the carved oak door that opened into the wide panelled passage leading to the drawing-room a little figure braced to a miserable courage the smallest thing to be going to defy powers of which this magnificence was only one of the expressions her mother was as usual on her sofa near a fire whose heat that warm day was mitigated by the windows being wide open beside her was her own particular table with the usual flowers needlework devotional books and biographies of good men it was difficult to believe her mother had got off that sofa nine times to go to bed had dressed and undressed and had meals thirty-six of them counted ingeborg mechanically while she looked about for the bishop if you excluded the before breakfast tea forty-five if you didn't since she saw her last so immovable did she appear so exactly in the same position and composed into the same lines as she had been nine days before the room was full of the singing of thrushes quite deafeningly full as she opened the door for the windows gave straight into the green and soppy garden and it was a day of many worms judith was making tea as far away from the fire as she could get and there was no sign of the bishop 
"'Is that you, Ingeborg?' said her mother, turning her face, grown pale with years of being shut up, to the door. Ingeborg's mother had found the sofa as other people find salvation. She was not ill. She had simply discovered in it a refuge and a very present help in all the troubles and turmoil of life, and in a special a shield and buckler when it came to dealing with the bishop. It is not easy for the married, she had found, when first casting about for one, to hit on a refuge from each other that shall be honourable to both. In a moment of insight she perceived the sofa. Here was a blameless object that would separate her entirely from duties and responsibilities of every sort. It was respectable. It was unassailably effective. It was not included in the commandments. All she had to do was to cling to it, and nobody could make her do or be anything. She accordingly got on to it, and had stayed there ever since, mysteriously frail, an object of solicitude and sympathy, a being before whose helplessness the most aggressive or aggrieved husband must needs be helpless too. And she had gradually acquired the sofa look, and was now very definitely a slightly plaintive but persistently patient Christian lady. "'Is that you, Ingeborg?' she said, turning her head. "'Yes, mother,' said Ingeborg, hesitating in spite of herself on the threshold. She looked round anxiously, but the bishop was not lurking anywhere in the big room. "'Come in, dear, and shut the door. You see the windows are open.' Judith glanced up at her a moment from her tea-making, and did not move. Even in the midst of her terrors Ingeborg was astonished, after not having seen it for a while, at her loveliness. She seemed to have taken the sodden greys of the afternoon, the dullness and the gathering dusk, and made out of their gloom the one perfect background for her beauty. "'We thought you would have written,' said Mrs. Bullivant, putting her cheek in a position convenient for the kiss that was to be applied to it. "'I—I I telegraphed,' said Ingeborg, applying the kiss. "'Yes, dear, but only about your train. I thought that was enough.' "'But, Ingeborg, dear, such a great occasion, one of the great occasions of life. We did expect a little notice, didn't we, Judith?' notice said ingeborg faintly your father was wounded dear he thought it showed so little real love for your parents and your sister but said ingeborg looking from one to the other we wrote to you at once directly we knew didn't we judith of course said judith ingeborg stood flushing and turning pale had one of the dense tours people somehow found out where she lived and written about her engagement and the impossible had happened and they weren't going to mind was it possible did they know and were taking it like this if only she had called at her aunt's house on the way to paddington and got the letters 
what miserable hours of terror she would have been spared but she began then the immense relief of it suddenly flooded her whole being with a delicious warm softness they did know somehow and a miracle had happened oh how kind god was she dropped on her knees by the sofa and began to kiss her mother's hand which surprised mrs bullivant and indeed it is a foreign trick picked up mostly by those who go abroad mother she said are you really pleased about it you don't mind then mind said mrs bullivant oh how glad how glad i am and father what does he say does he does he mind mind repeated mrs bullivant father is very pleased i think said judith with what in one less lovely would have been a slight pursing of the lips and she twisted a remarkable diamond ring she was wearing straight father is pleased echoed ingeborg quite awestruck by the amount and quality of these reliefs i must say i think it is really good of your dear father to be pleased when he loses began mrs bullivant oh yes yes interrupted the overcome ingeborg it's a wonder a wonder of god ingeborg dear her mother gently rebuked for this was excess and judith looked still more what would have been a little pursed in any other woman when he loses then resumed mrs bullivant with the plaintive determination of one who considers it the least she may expect as a sofa-ridden mother to be allowed to finish her sentences so much yes yes assented ingeborg eagerly whose appreciation of her parents attitude was so warm that she almost felt she must stay and bask in its urbanity for ever and not go away after all to the bleak distance of east prussia your father loses not only a daughter continued mrs bullivant but five hundred pound a year of his income would one call it his income inquired judith politely but yet if one could suspect a being with an angel's face of such a thing with some slight annoyance i thought our grandmother judith dear the five hundred pound a year your grandmother left to each of you was only to be yours when you married explained mrs bullivant also with some slight annoyance beneath her patience till you married it was to be mine your father's i mean of course and if you never did marry it would have been mine i mean his always ingeborg had heard of her swedish grandmother's will but had long ago forgotten it marriage being remote and money never of any interest to her who had no occasions for spending now her heart bounded with yet more thankfulness what a comfort it would be to robert how it would help him in his research extraordinary that she should have forgotten it when he told her of his stipend of five thousand marks two hundred fifty pound 
it was in english money he explained and there was the house and land free most of which went in his experiments but what was left being ample he said for the living purposes of reasonable beings if they approached it in a proper spirit it all depending he said on whether they approached it in a proper spirit and after all he had added triumphantly throwing out his chest just as she was about to inquire what the proper spirit was no man can call me thin to think she had forgotten the substantial help she was going to be able to bring him the full splendour of her father's generosity in being pleased at her engagement was now revealed to her the relief of it the glad warm relief so must one feel who is born again all new all clean from old mistakes and fears she felt lifted up extraordinarily happy extraordinarily good more in harmony with providence and the bible than she had been since childhood she would have been willing and indeed found it perfectly natural to kneel down with a mother and judith then and there and say prayers together out loud she would have been willing on the crest of her wave of gratefulness quite readily to give up herr dremmel in return for the family's immense kindness in not asking her to give him up she had felt nothing like this exultation before in her life this complete being in harmony with the infinite this confidence in the inherent goodness of things except on the afternoon her tooth was pulled out oh she exclaimed laying her cheek on her mother's hand oh i do hope you'll like robert robert said mrs bullivant and at the tea-table there was a sudden silence among the cups as though they were holding their breath his name's robert said ingeborg still with a cheek on her mother's hand her eyes shut her face a vision of snuggest safest contentment what robert ingeborg inquired mrs bullivant shifting her position to stare down more conveniently at her daughter herr dremmel it's his christian name he's got to have one you know said ingeborg still with her eyes shut in the blissfulness of perfect confidence herr who said mrs bullivant a sharper note of life in her voice than there had been for years here's your father she added quickly hastily composing herself into the lines of the unassailable invalid again as the door opened and the bishop came in ingeborg jumped up oh father she cried running to him with the entire want of shyness one may conceive in the newly washed and forgiven soul when it first arrives in heaven and meets its maker and knows there are going to be no more misunderstandings forever how good you've been and she kissed him so fervently in a room gone so silent that the kiss sounded quite loud the bishop was nettled was he then at any time not good his daughter's excessive gratitude really almost noisy gratitude for what after all had been inevitable 
the permission to go up to london and place herself in the hands of a dentist suggested that humaneness on his part came to her as a surprise he did feel he had been good to let her go but he also felt he would have been not good if he had not let her go certainly redchester opinion would have condemned him as cruel even if he himself who knew all the circumstances was not able to think so what had really been cruel was the terrible muddle his papers and letters had gotten into owing to her prolonged absence grave dislocations had taken plates in the joints of his engagements several with far-reaching results and all because he could not help feeling ingeborg in spite of precept and example did not in her earlier years use her toothbrush with regularity and conscientiousness manifestly she did not or how could she have needed nine enormous days to be set in repair he himself who regarded his body as a holy temple which was the one solution of the body question that at all approached satisfactoriness and had accordingly brushed his teeth from the point of view of their being pillars of a sacred edifice after every meal for forty years had never had a toothache in his life let us hope now ingeborg he said reflecting on the instance she had provided of the modern inversion of the mosaic law which visited the sins of the fathers on the children the original arrangement of bishop felt being considerably healthier and gently putting her away in order to go over to the tea-table where he stood holding out his hand for the cup judith hastened to place in it let us now hope now you have had your lesson that in future you will remember cleanliness is next to godliness and this seemed to ingeborg an answer so surprising that she could only stare at him with her mouth fallen a little open there where he had left her in the middle of the carpet but the bishop had not done he went on to say another thing that surprised her still more nay smote her cold shook her to her foundations he said after a pause during which the silence in the room was remarkable his back turned to her while at the tea-table he carefully selected the particular piece of bread and butter he intended to eat and pray ingeborg why did you not write the moment you heard from us and congratulate your sister on her engagement chapter eight ingeborg was dumb her father's question was like a blow shocking her back to consciousness the warm dream that all was well that she was understood that there was love and kindliness for her at home after all and welcome and encouragement the warm feeling of stretching herself in her family's kind lap confident that it would hold her up and not spill her out onto the floor was gone in a flash she was hit awake hit out of her brief delicious sleep her family had not got a lap but it had an entirely unprepared mind 
and into that unprepared mind she had tumbled the name of Dremmel. Judith engaged, she stammered faintly on the bishop's wheeling round, cup in hand, to examine into the cause of her prolonged silence. "'Your incredulity is not very flattering to your sister,' he said, and Judith's eyelashes, as she concentrated her gaze on the teapot, were alone sufficiently lovely, the curved, dusky, golden, soft things, to make incredulity simply silly. Mrs. Bullivant avoided all speech, and clung to her sofa. "'It's so sudden,' faltered Ingeborg. "'Much may happen in a week,' said the bishop. "'Yes,' murmured Ingeborg, who knew that terribly, too. "'You never can tell what a day may bring forth,' said the bishop. And Ingeborg, deeply convinced, drooped her head acquiescent. "'No man,' began the bishop, habit being strong within him, "'knoweth the hour when the bridegroom—' But he stopped, recollecting that Ingeborg was not engaged, and therefore could not with propriety be talked to of bridegrooms. Instead he inquired again why she had not written, and eyeing her searchingly asked himself if it were possible that a child of his could be base enough to envy. I didn't get the letters, said Ingeborg, her head drooping. You did not? That is very strange. Your mother wrote at once. Let me see. It was on Friday it happened. It was Friday. Was it not, Judith? You ought to know. Judith blushed obediently. And today is Tuesday. Apple time, apple time, my dear, he said, turning to his wife, who at once twitched into a condition of yet further relaxed defencelessness. Do you think it possible your letter was not posted? Quite, Herbert, murmured Mrs. Bullivant, closing her eyes and endeavouring to imagine herself unconscious. Ah, then that's it, that's it. Wilson is growing careless. This last week there have been repeated negligences. You will make inquiries, Ingeborg, and tell him what I have said. Yes, father. "'And you will discharge him, if he goes on like this, yes, father? "'Unfaithful servant, unfaithful servant. "'He that is unfaithful in a few things,' the bishop, frowning at it, "'took a second piece of bread and butter, and went over to the hearthrug, "'where he stood from force of habit, in spite of the warmth of the day, "'drinking his tea, and becoming vaguely and increasingly irritated by the action of the fire behind him. Then he said, looking at Ingeborg, you know nothing about it. She shook her head. She was the oddest figure in the middle of the splendid old room, travel-stained, untidy, her face white with fatigue, her hat crooked. Judith glanced at her every now and then, but it was impossible at any time to tell what the delicate white rose at the tea-table was thinking, so impossible that the young men who clustered round her like bees when they first saw her gave it up and went on presently to more communicative flowers. The local duchess had hoped her first-born would marry him, a creature so lovely, so entirely 
respectable with that knight's bishop for a father and so happily adapted in the perfection of her proportions for the successful production of further dukes and she pointed out various aspects of the girl's exquisiteness to her son and told him he would have the most beautiful wife in england but the young man after a reproachful look at his mother for supposing he could have missed noticing even the humblest approach to a pretty woman let alone judith bullivant said he didn't want to marry a picture but something that was alive and anyhow something that talked she's right enough of course he remarked and i like looking at her i'd be blind if i didn't but lord dull the girl hasn't got a word to say for herself i never met any woman who looked so ripping and then somehow wasn't she won't talk she won't talk he almost wailed she ain't got the remotest resemblance to anything approaching kick in her you might end by being thankful for that said his mother he would not however be persuaded and went his way and married as the duchess had feared a young lady from the halls a young lady nimble not only of toes but of wits nimble that is to say as he proudly pointed out to his mother at both ends with whom he lived in great contentment for she amused him which is much i have not observed you offer any congratulations ingeborg said the bishop becoming more and more displeased by her strange behaviour and not at all liking her crumpled and forlorn appearance he again thought of envy but that alone could not crumple clothes and yet your sister he said getting a little further away from the fire which had begun to scorch him unpleasantly is to be the wife of the master the master repeated ingeborg stupidly for a moment her tormented brain supposed judith must be going to be a nun there is only one master said the bishop in his stateliest manner everyone knows that the master of ananias ingeborg knew this was a great thing the master of ananias the most celebrated of oxford colleges was in every way except perhaps that of age desirable but what was age when it came to all the other desirabilities her father had rebuked her once for speaking of him as old dr abbott and had informed her that the master was only sixty and that everybody was sixty that is said the bishop everybody of any sense he was not a widower he was pleasant to look at in his shaven iron-grey way he was brilliantly erudite and extremely well off apart from his handsome salary one of the handsomest salaries in the gift of the crown several years before when judith was still invisible in a pinafore he had stayed at the palace it was then ingeborg spoke of him as old and had been treated by her father with every attention and respect he had on that occasion seemed glad to go 
now it appeared he had been again and must have fallen immediately and overwhelmingly in love with judith for his short visit to bridge the distance between a first acquaintance and an engagement who however knew better than herself how quickly such distances can be bridged she wanted to go and kiss judith and say sweet things to her but her feet seemed unable to move she wanted to congratulate everybody with all her heart if only they would be kind and congratulate her a little too for judith had heard what she said before her father came in and her mother had heard it and the room was heavy with the uttered name of dremel she looked round at them her father waiting for her to show at least ordinary decency and feeling judith so safe in the family's approval so entirely clear from hidden things her mother lying with closed eyes and expressionless face and she suddenly felt intolerably alone oh oh she cried holding out her hands doesn't anybody love me this was worse than her toothache her family had endured much during those days but at least there was a reason then for the odder parts of her behavior now they were called upon to endure the distressing spectacle of a hitherto reserved relative letting herself go to unbridledness ingeborg was going to make a scene and a scene was a thing that had never yet anyhow not during the entire bullivant period been made in that house mrs bullivant shut her eyes tighter and tried to think she was not there at all judith turned red and again became absorbed in the teapot the bishop after the first cold shock natural to a person called upon to contemplate nakedness where up to then there had been clothes put down his cup on the nearest table and with an exaggerated calm stared they all felt intensely uncomfortable as uncomfortable as though she had begun in the middle of the drawing-room to remove her garments one by one and cast them from her this is very sad ingeborg said the bishop isn't it oh isn't it was her unexpected answer tears in her eyes she was so tired so frightened she had been travelling hard since the morning of the day before she had had nothing to eat for a time that seemed infinite and yet this was the moment just because she had betrayed herself to her mother and judith in which she was going to have to tell her father what she had done it is the most distressing example said the bishop i have ever seen of that basest of sins envy envy said ingeborg oh no that's not what it is oh if it were only that and i do congratulate judith judith i do i do my dear but father i have been doing it too it was out now and she looked at him with miserable eyes prepared for the worst doing what ingeborg i'm engaged too engaged 
My dear Ingeborg, the bishop was alarmed for her sanity. She really looked very strange. Had they been giving her too much gas? His tone became careful and humoring. How can you, he said quietly, have become engaged in these few days? Much may happen in a week, said Ingeborg. It jumped out. She did try not to say it. She was unnerved. And always when she was unnerved she said the first thing that came into her head. And always it was either unfortunate or devastating. The bishop became encased in ice. This was not hysteria. It was something immeasurably worse. Be so good as to explain, he said sharply and waves of icy air seemed to issue from where he stood and heave through the room. "'I'm engaged to somebody called Dremel,' said Ingeborg. "'I do not know the name. Do you, Marion?' "'No, oh, oh, no,' breathed Mrs. Bullivant, her eyes shut. "'Robert Dremel,' said Ingeborg. "'Who are the Dremels, Ingeborg? "'There aren't any.' there aren't any i never heard of any she said twisting her fingers together we usedn't to talk about about things like more dremels what is this man a clergyman oh where is he living in east prussia in where ingeborg east prussia it it's a place abroad thank you I am aware of that. My education reaches as far as and includes East Prussia. Mrs. Bullivant began to cry, not loud, but tears that stole quietly down her face from beneath her closed eyelids. She did not do anything to them, but lay with her hands clasped on her breast and let them steal. What was the use of being a Christian? if one were exposed to these scenes. Pray, why is he in East Prussia? asked the bishop. He belongs there. Again, the room seemed for an instant to hold its breath. Am I to understand that he is a German? Please, father. A German pastor? Yes, father. Not by any chance attached in some ecclesiastical capacity to the Kaiser. No, father. There was a pause. Your aunt, what did she say to this? She didn't say anything. She wasn't there. I beg your pardon? I haven't been at my aunt's. Judith, my dear, will you kindly leave the room? Judith got up and went while she was crossing to the door, and until she had shut it behind her there was silence. Now, said the bishop, Judith being safely out of harm's way, you will have the goodness to explain exactly what you have been doing. I think I wish to go to bed, murmured Mrs. Bullivant, without changing her attitude or opening her eyes. Will someone please ring for Richards to come and take me to bed? But neither the bishop nor Ingeborg heeded her. I didn't mean to do anything, father, began Ingeborg. Then she broke off and said, I can explain better if I sit down, and dropped into the chair nearest to her, for her knees felt very odd. She saw her father now only through a mist. 
she was going to have to oppose him for the first time in her life, and her nature was one which acquiesced and did not oppose. In her wretchedness a doubt stole across her mind as to whether Herr Dremmel was worth this, was anything, in fact, worth fighting about, and with one's father, and against one's whole bringing up. Was she going to be strong enough? Was it a thing one ought to be strong about? Would not true strength rather lie in a calm continuation of life at home? What, when one came to think of it, was East Prussia really to her? And those rye fields, and all that water? She wished she had had at least a piece of bread and butter. She thought perhaps bread and butter would have helped her not to doubt she looked round vaguely so as not to have to meet her father's eye for a moment and her glance fell on the tea-table i think she said faintly getting up i'll have some tea to the bishop this seemed outrageous he watched her in a condition of icy indignation such as he had not yet in his life experienced his daughter, his daughter for whom he had done so much, the daughter he had trained for years, sparing no pains, to be a helpful, efficient Christian woman, the daughter he had honoured with his trust, letting her share in the most private portions of his daily business. Not a letter had he received that she had not seen and been allowed to answer, not a step in any direction had he taken without permitting her to make the necessary arrangements. Seldom, he supposed bitterly, had a child received so much of a father's confidence, his daughter, that crumpled and disreputable. Yes, now he knew what was the matter with her appearance, disreputable-looking figure, cynically pouring itself out tea, while he, her father, whom she had been deceiving, was left to wait for her explanations until such time as she should have sated her appetite. Positively she had succeeded, he said to himself, bitterly enraged, that he should be forced to be bitterly enraged in making him feel less like a bishop, should feel than he had done since he was a boy. It's because I've had nothing to eat since Paris, Ingeborg explained apologetically, holding the teapot in both hands, because one by itself shook too much, and feeling, too, that the moment was not exactly one for tea. The bishop started. Since where? he said. Paris, said Ingeborg, adding tremulously, having quite lost her nerve and only desiring to fill up the silence it it's a place abroad mrs bullivant murmured a more definitely earnest request that richards might be rung for to take her to bed ingeborg said the bishop in a voice she did not know paris yes father last night ingeborg come here he was pointing to a chair a yard or two from the hearth-rug, on which he stood, and his voice was very strange. She put down the cup with a shaking hand and went to him. Her heart was in her mouth. "'What have you been doing?' he said. "'I told you, father. I'm engaged to her. How did you get to Paris by train? Will you answer me? 
what were you doing in paris having dinner she was terrified her father was talking quite loud she had never in her life seen him like this she answered his questions quickly her heart leaping as he rapped them out but her answers seemed to make him still angrier if only he would let her explain hear her out but he hurled questions at her giving her no time at all father she said hurriedly seeing that after that last answer of hers he did for a moment say nothing but stood looking at her very extraordinarily please let me tell you how it all happened it won't take a minute it won't really and then you see you'll know i didn't mean to do anything i really didn't but the dentist pulled my tooth out so quickly that very first day and so instead of coming home i went to lucerne to yes she nodded in a frenzy of haste to get it all said to lucerne i couldn't tell you why but i did i seemed pushed there and after a while while i got engaged and i didn't in the least mean to do that either really i didn't but somehow was there any use trying to tell him about the white and silver cake and the seven witnesses and the undoubting kind herr dremmel and all the endless small links in the chain would he ever ever understand somehow i did you see she added helplessly looking up at him with eyes full of an appeal for comprehension for mercy one thing leads to another and as he still said nothing she added even more helplessly herr dremmel sat opposite me in the train you picked him up casually like any servant girl in a train he was one of the party he was there from the beginning oh yes i forgot to tell you it was one of dent's tours you went on a dent's tour yes and he was one of it too and we all of course always went about together rather like a school two and two i suppose because of the pavement she said now saying in her terror anything that came into her head and as he was the other one of my two the half of the couple i was the other one of you know father we we got engaged do you take me for a fool was the bishop's comment ingeborg's heart stood still how could her father even think oh father was all she could say to that and she hung her head in the entire hopelessness the uselessness of trying to tell him anything she knew she had been saying it ridiculously tumbling out a confusion of what must sound sad nonsense but could he not see she was panic-stricken could he not be patient and help her to make her clean breast i'm stupid she said looking up at him through tears and suddenly dropping into a kind of nakedness of speech a speech entirely simple and entirely true stupid with fright do you suggest i terrorize you inquired the incensed bishop yes she said this was terrible it was peculiarly terrible because it made the bishop actually wish he were not a gentleman 
then indeed it would be an easy matter to deal with that small defying creature in the chair when it comes to women the quickest method is after all to be by profession a navvy he shuddered and hastily drew his thoughts back from this abyss to what dread depths of naturalness was she not by her conduct dragging him father said ingeborg who had now got down to the very bottom of the very worst a place where once one had reached it an awful sincerity takes possession of one's tongue do you see this look at them and she held up her hands and showed him while she herself watched them as though they were somebody else's how they were shaking isn't that being afraid look at them it's fear it's fear of you it's you making them do that and think of it i'm twenty-two a woman oh i i'm ashamed but whether it was proper shame for what she had done or a shocking shame for her compunctions in sinning the bishop was not permitted that afternoon to discover because when she had got as far as that she was interrupted by being obliged to faint there was a moment's confusion while she tumbled out of the chair and lay a creased strange object on the floor owing to mrs bullivant's having produced an exclamation and this to the bishop after years of not having heard her more than murmur was almost as disconcerting as if flinging self-restraint to the winds she had suddenly produced fresh offspring he quickly however recovered the necessary presence of mind and the bell was rung for richards who when she came knelt down and undid ingeborg's travel-worn blouse and something on a long chain fell out jingling it was her father's cross and herr dremmel's ring metallically hitting each other the bishop left the room without a word End of section three